Hey, if you guys came to trivia, good job. You know, someone, this is the thing about trivia. People are like, the questions are too hard. Yes. <laughs> Only the ones you don't know are hard. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to work. And the majority of teams, majority of teams, not all of you, but the majority of teams got over 50% of them correct. All right, so that means you guys are doing okay. You don't want to show up and know everything and be like, this is too boring, I know all these. And it's not like you don't know any of them. Well, some of you. <laughs> and then throughout it, like, I got three different people. You didn't ask this question right. You didn't say this right. And I'm like, okay. I mean, look, um, it's, it's not like it's for a million bucks or something. I got it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll, I'll change the answer. I'll be like, okay, I'll give you it. Sure, one point. You're still in last place, but I'll give you the point. <laughs> I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, Nina's Kitchen, the food truck, was very happy with you guys because apparently you bought so much food. <laughs> I said, have you been around Christians? That's what we do. <laughs> All right, uh, just to uh, catch up on what Sarah said a second ago, we are still doing our Element University on Thursday nights. If you did miss the first one last week, but it's okay. Most of the weeks will kind of stand on their own a bit. It is really good if you did get some of the week before, but again, if you missed it, it's really not a big deal. We'll recap and move forward, and each week is going to give you a different perspective of how to really look at culture. Uh, we are, if you missed it and you do want to listen to it, we are giving the links out directly. We're not posting it online because when the whole thing is said and done, uh, it, it does kind of need to go together. So we're just not saying, here, listen to this. We want to have the whole thing as a package in the end. If you missed it, you want to listen to it, talk to Sarah. She'll get you a link to where you can listen to the first week. But again, if you missed it, you're still okay. You're going to be fine if you want to come this week, Thursday night, 6 o'clock. If you need child care, you need to sign up. Welcome to Element if you are new <laughs> and you missed trivia. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes that reflect on what we talk about today, some questions to reflect on what we talk about today. On the back, you get the verses we're going through. On the bottom of that, you get a place for notes where you can write things down because I know how you guys like to doodle, so that's where it is. Uh, if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in that smart device. You will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, uh, links to a lot of things that Sarah talked about. All right there. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is Galatians 4.20. Don't make fun of the address. And it says, <laughs> I wish I could be present with you and now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning I ask that you would take and move us to be a people who trust you in our lives, who understand the directions that you are calling us towards, and that we would be those who glorify you in all aspects of it, and that we would be those who reflect in one another's lives the goodness of the gospel, the good news that we've received, and people would be able to see that and want to walk with you because of how they see your people live in joy and even in the midst of our sorrow, that goes back to joy, that everything would be reflective of who you are. Amen. Have a seat. 
All right, so we are doing a trek to the New Testament book of Galatians. This is week 17. Uh, if you have one of the Bibles at Element and you want to open to Galatians chapter 4, you can do that. It's on page 632 in one of those Bibles. If you have your own, Galatians 4, you can find it on your page. Uh, Galatians is a book about grace and I think how often we misunderstand it. In our lives today, if you look around the world where the people are believers or not, we are typically living our lives trying to make ourselves acceptable to something or someone. As Christians, it's like, oh, I want God to love me, so we're trying to make ourselves acceptable to God by doing certain things or not doing certain things. But even if people aren't Christians, they're typically trying to make themselves acceptable to an organization, to another person, to something to feel like they can have some worth. And whenever we try to find our worth in what we do, we will never measure up. We will always fall short. And this is kind of the point of where Paul goes in Galatians, is that as we are trying to follow whatever laws we are trying to follow, we are never going to measure up. And so Paul talks about the good news that God has laid his worth upon us by a gift when we trust in the provision of Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned last week, Paul has been going on through all of these theological points to kind of re keep reinforcing that. And at this point in Galatians 4, Paul kind of takes off his glasses and takes off his theological hat and just says, look, my heart burns for you, and this is why I say these things to you. Paul will even say at the end of the section, Galatians 4.20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul is saying, I really don't want to write this way. I want to write in tones, terms of joy, but I have to keep pushing you back towards the gospel because I'm so perplexed about this. He is emotionally conveying what he is thinking, what he is feeling, because he wants them to know this really does come from his heart. It comes from a place of friendship. The section starts, 412, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. That is a entreaty to the bond that they have established in the person of Christ. We are in the same family. We are brothers and sisters, and we want to follow together to see what Christ has done in our lives. Now, I've got to tell you, I was even talking to Michelle before we started. This is kind of a, a hard sermon to start and a hard one to give because it's really about pastors and people as you start to see Paul's heart. And it's really hard to give a sermon like that because I don't want you to misunderstand me at all. And it's why in the end, I'm going to give you three things of what ministers should really be doing in the world. But I think by the end of this, you could judge me on whether I'm a good minister or not. But in another sense, we can look at ourselves to see if we are good ministers or not. So I'm not trying to make this all about me, but Paul kind of does this. And it's kind of hard to start because this is kind of like, I, I love giving you messages and we can laugh together, maybe cry together, not that often because it makes me uncomfortable, uh, but where we can talk about our experience of trusting Jesus. And then maybe it's like I, I encourage you and kick you out of the nest for the week and you go and live out the things that Jesus is talking about. But this one is again, a little bit harder. It's kind of like if you're a parent and even if you're not, this will relate, but parents, sometimes they tell their kids, you need to listen to me. Why? Because I'm your parent. And if you think about it, that's kind of self-serving a bit, right? I'm your parent, listen to me because this is who I am. If they had a friend who said, I didn't listen to my parents and I ran in the street and I almost died, well, that could be something else. But saying, you need to listen to me because I'm me, that sounds a bit odd. And this is kind of what's taking place a little bit today and what Paul says, because there's all these places in the Bible that talk about relationships between ministers and people. Unfortunately, they're all in the Bible. And the job of the minister is to teach you the Bible, which means I'm in a situation which I have to talk about something that sounds like I'm saying, listen to me. 
I mean, but then you got these questions. Can you trust my motives? I just read this book called The Confidence Game, and it's all about con men. Fully half of the stories in the book they used are religious people who are using and running these con games. So can you trust me? And when we talk about the Bible and what it says about pastors, what they're supposed to be like, you can look around and see there's an awful lot of bad pastors. But when I say that, it sounds like I'm saying I'm not one. Like, I'm a good one. So you should listen to me. Can you trust my motives? It's really weird. Guys, I want you to grow. I want you to know who Jesus Christ is. I want you to follow him. And I hopefully in the end, you can trust my motives in the things that I said, because this is what Paul says to the people of Galatia. He says, listen to what I say, not what those false teachers are saying, because you can trust me. Paul says, like I want to say, I want you to live in freedom. Stop listening to all those crappy pastors out there who want to lead you into legalism and want you to think how great they are instead of how great Jesus is. Look towards Jesus. So, kind of awkward, but here's all of Paul's words today. We're going to read through it and we'll talk through this. Galatians 4, 12 through verse 20. Paul says this, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? This is, they're trying to pull you away from listening to the truth I am giving to you. I want you to listen to me. But I also want you to understand this isn't just Paul saying, listen to me, it's how we're supposed to live in each other's lives. If we want to be agents of reconciliation, we must point to Jesus first. Verse 17, he says, they, those false ministers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. That's what they're trying to do. Verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. So Paul is entreating them. I want you to come to the place of freedom. I want you to understand what grace is. And he says, I have been where you are. This is why I've given you the story about my life, not me, but Paul. And he's been talking about how he lived in Judaism, how he followed the law and how it led him deeper and deeper into despair and it enslaved him. And he says, I want you to become how I am now because I have been where you are. I have tried the whole law route and it's not going to work. Paul reminds them, when I first came to Galatia, I was in horrible shape. And we don't know what Paul's ailment is. Some people think he was sick. Some people think he was beaten in another persecution and barely made his way there. Maybe he went to a boy band concert, ruined his ears. I don't know. But some people think this is what led to Paul's further problems with all of his eyesight. Guys, look, if I have problems with my eyesight when I get older, you know why. I eat too much sugar and I got the diabetes. That's why I get it. In any case, Paul, his physical condition when he arrived was so bad, it took a lot of effort for the people in Galatia to help him, which means they must have always been around his bedside. And he's like, I got a captive audience. And so he starts preaching about Jesus. He uses every opportunity. And as he does that, they're like, this is like 
an angel of God. God is bringing as a message through this guy who is hurt. Now, when I say that, this isn't like religious people that my wife tell me at, show up at the hospital sometimes who run up and down the aisles yelling, you guys need to repent, or people who pass out because they're dehydrated and blame it on God or whatever. But this is Paul. He speaks to them in a way because he is probably going to Galatia when whatever happened, happened. And so he understands them, their culture, and he wants to speak in a way they understand. And God works powerfully through him. Paul's message is, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. They knew by what Paul was saying, they were in the presence of God powerfully moving. With the word angel, it simply means messenger, and they saw him as a messenger of God. And I don't know if you can follow where Paul's argument's going, but he almost has this idea that I was in this terrible shape when you saw me. My physical condition was no problem for you in hearing the goodness of God. And what he is then also trying to say is your physical condition, not being circumcised, not following the law, is not a problem to what the gospel is trying to bring into your life. All your condition of being uncircumcised is irrelevant when it comes to preaching and hearing and living out the gospel. And it's crazy because he says, you would be willing to gouge out your eyes and give them to me. And this is why a lot of people think that this is where Paul's eyesight problem started. Because they're like, we would give you our eyes if we could. It could be that Paul is beat up and he's very hard to look at. But either way, Paul is saying, what has happened between us? When I was talking about grace, you guys heard it, you loved it, and now something has happened. And Paul says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have you ever had a friendship that's gone bad? Like one day you love each other, the next day for some reason they just ghost you and you're totally out of their life? I am not talking about junior high. No one can handle those hormones. I'm talking like as an adult, as an adult. Do you have a friend that maybe has started to go through something really difficult and you stepped into their life and said, I want to love you. I want to help you. And they become vulnerable and honest and open so much so that it's really shocking. And then maybe they start working and they move to a place where they get better. And all of a sudden they stop talking to you because maybe they were so embarrassed about how open they were in those moments. They no longer want to talk to you. Or maybe you have a friend that's doing something that you're really worried about their life and you step into their life and you speak the truth to them about where they are. And as soon as you do that, they look at you as the enemy because you love them enough to tell them the truth and they just stop talking to you. This is what has happened to Paul. They are actively now hostile towards him. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? The joy, the satisfaction as a messenger of God that they saw him at one point is all changed. Now he's an hostile agent. When he says, have I become your enemy? He's like their adversary. Why is he their adversary? Because he is emphasizing grace. He is emphasizing grace, how God rescues us, how it's not our own effort or our own energies that save us. It is God himself, grace versus works. Paul is telling them, I never changed my message. I never changed my ministry. It is you who have changed because now you are under the influence of those bad ministers who are trying to make you do all of these rituals. We have very different goals. What are those goals? Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. That's a bad minister. And I will tell you, I've run into a few of those throughout the course of my life. And again, it's weird because when I say that, I'm saying, oh, but it's not me because I'm a good one. It's, again, it's really awkward to say things like this. But I run into a few people who didn't really point people to Jesus. They pointed them to themselves. I need you to listen to me. I'm your spiritual authority about everything. I will tell you what to do. There are a lot of people out there like that. And you're not allowed to question them. If you question them, they're like, I'm more spiritual than you are. How dare you question me? That's a bad minister. Because seriously, 
I have met with people in my office multiple times about questions they have had about my theology or something I've said, and they want to figure it out. And I am always fine with it. I am always fine with it because I want to walk through those things. There are several things here that kind of separate out what gospel ministry and gospel transformation is like, aside from like an enslavement to religious practice. And I'm going to tell you what the one of the biggest things is that draws people into enslavement. Don't make me your enemy by telling you the truth this morning, okay? So here we go. Uh, one of the main markers of the legitimate possibility of going into enslavement instead of freedom is that, and this is a metaphor the scriptures use, you want your ears tickled. And you might be like, oh, that'd be awkward if someone tickled my ears. It's not literally tickling your ears. It's a metaphor that means you want to hear what you want to hear. You do not want to hear the truth. And that is one of the major problems in our culture today. If you tell the truth, you get canceled because people don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear. Churches should be places that people can come with our legitimate issues in our lives, whatever they are. And there should not be condemnation towards other people because we'd all stand condemned without Jesus. So when we come, we will have issues in our relationships, issues in our marriages. If you're married, you know you have issues because people do, because they're hard. Some people are in financial situations that feel crushing. Maybe you have a friend or a loved one who is sick and you, or children who are wayward and rebellious and it's destroying them. And and you played a part in that. You know what? You don't hide it. You want to hear the truth because we have all sorts of steady pressures on our soul. And so we need to come here and we need to be able to hear the truth. Some churches, and I've been to a couple, don't really want to speak the truth because they want everybody happy. So they give you the, the five steps to happiness, the five steps to financial well-being. And it's like nothing points towards the gospel. And again, remember when I said it's weird talking about this, about bad ministers, because it sounds like I'm saying I'm not one. I feel like I've been a bad one, but I'm trying to be a better one. Anyway, I'm not arrogant. I promise. Anyway, <laughs> it would be so easy to tell everybody just what they wanted to hear. I want to be your friend. I want you to like me. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard when I got to tell you the truth. I would love to say, you follow Jesus and you have enough faith, all your hardships go away. Oh, the problems in your marriage, they're all going to go away. And if they don't, it's not your fault. It's their fault, obviously. God's going to build a tree in your front yard that's going to give you $100 bills every day. All your problems will go away if you have enough faith. Maybe I pull verses out of the Bible about God blessing you, about sowing and reaping, and you leave happy, and I leave happy because you love that I made you feel good. And then we would have this really weird dysfunctional relationship that's kind of codependent, where in the end, your life gets blown up, and you blame God for it or blame me for it because you believed a lie. And I think I will be held to a certain standard with God for not being honest with you, because I don't want to tell you what you want to hear. I want to tell you the truth. And I will tell you, sometimes in your life, your life is just going to fall apart and God is going to use that to grow you. Matt Chandler wrote this. He said, even if you love Jesus, it's very possible, even probable, there will be days and seasons where your tears and your snot are your only food and where you, in a ball on the floor, can't think about your life or it would crush you. Totally true. Totally true. I have been a pastor for a while, and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in trusting the gospel and trusting Jesus, it's not that everything goes the way you want it to go. The beauty of the gospel is we get relationship with God. That's the beauty of the gospel. And He is enough in every circumstance, and He will be enough. Some, some people try to use God to get all the things they want in their life. Well, if I love God, then I will get this. Well, what if in the end all you get is God? What if? 
because God is able. I mean, he can accomplish anything more than we can ask or dream or imagine. He can restore friendships. He can restore marriages. I've seen him do it. I've also seen people not listen and destroy their own marriages. He can lead you out of financial ruin. He can bring those wayward children home. He can heal diseases and all that. But if we only go to him to get those things, then we're using him to get what we want and we are not really worshiping him. And that's paganism and idolatry. How do we know if we are enslaved, if we're really walking in the gospel? I think people whose hearts begin to be drawn towards him, we want to know Jesus, period. And I think a good minister, a good preacher of the gospel wants to proclaim Jesus to you and point you towards him. That's a good minister. If they don't point you to Jesus, but point them to themselves and how great they are or your own experience, that's a bad minister. Paul says, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He says, don't look at me. I want you to look to Jesus. And when I say I want you to be like me, I only want you to be like me in the terms that I love and follow and I'm captivated by Jesus. I want to worship Jesus. I want to make much of him. Paul knows in Christianity, there's not an outer circle and an inner circle. Oh, those people are more spiritual. They're closer to God. No, I, mean, I, I go places and people go, oh, you're the pastor. Would you pray? Because you're closer to God. I am not closer to God. If you knew me, you'd think I was further from you than God than you were. Because I'm a, I'm a mess most of the time. There is no outer circle and inner circle. It's just one circle within God's grace. He says, they make much of you. The word make much of means eager or zealous. They want them to be zealous about the law just like they are. This is again how Paul lived his life. In the beginning, Paul didn't want people to become Christians. He wanted them to become Jews, follow the law, do all the right things. But now he wants all those Jews to follow Jesus, even those false teachers. Paul will say this in Romans 10 verses 1 through 4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, again, by their own works, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul does not want those false teachers to go to hell. He wants them to know who Jesus is. He loves them. He wants them to trust Jesus. And I think it's fine in our lives to burn with an eagerness for the truth and a zealousness for God's work, but it must always be with a love for God and a love towards the gospel, the fellowship of all believers coming together. The zeal these opponents or agitators are of a particular kind. What they want is a racially drawn together, physical makeup, religious body. You are circumcised. You follow the law. We become homogenous. We all look the same. That's what they want. Paul's pulling his hair out. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of, much of them. Essentially, they're cutting you off from Jesus because they want you to look towards them before the truth, and they are the ones who dispense the law. They are the ones who dispense what the truth is there. They reveal the law to you. They're trying to make these people earn their salvation by listening to them and not pointing them towards Jesus Christ. And Paul only wants to steer them towards Jesus. And guess what? That's a good minister. That's a good minister. So here's a question for them, I think for all of us. How do we respond to the truth? How do we respond to the truth? Are we okay hearing the truth or do we, on it? Do we want our ears tickled, so to speak? Do we want to know what's true instead of necessarily following ourselves? Do we want to listen to God's spirit as he stirs us up? Have you ever in your life said, I'm right. I don't care what you say. I don't care what God's spirit does. I'm right. 
has God ever said, I want you to restore that relationship? And you said, well, they got to go first. And God's like, I don't want them to go first. I want you to go first. It's like, I'm not going to do that. How do we listen to God? Because honestly, it is hard and it is ugly when we start to see our own sin when we see our own shortcomings. And this is why only by the gospel will we ever live in true freedom. We keep an eye on grace and mercy and forgiveness because that comes on the heels of the revelation of Jesus. God will never just crush you. God does not crush us. He wants to restore us. He wants to bring us the truth. He wants to expose the inner workings of our hearts so we eventually will live in greater joy. God presses us with the truth to set us free. And Paul says, don't go back to being enslaved. Don't go back. He says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Again, Paul is their pastor, speaking full of love in his heart. So we have to ask the question I just asked a second ago again. How do we respond to the truth? Do we want our ears tickled? Do we want to hear what's true? And I ask this because there are many times I feel like I am perplexed about all of us. I'm not just saying you, I'm saying me too. Because there are times I wonder how we can look at the things in our culture and say, oh, that's terrible, and yet we can live just like it in our own lives. I get perplexed at our lack of fervency in worship and prayer many times. I get perplexed when there are relationships that are really difficult and people do not want to step together and reconcile. I am perplexed at how I can speak the gospel every week, and yet sometimes I can say, hey, what's the gospel? And you're like, I don't know. It's like, okay, okay. I'm perplexed by the fact that week in and week out, I feel like we can lay out biblically the offer of freedom and life and hope that's found only in Jesus. And so many of us want to run back to our idols and the elementary principles of the world we talked about a couple weeks ago. I mean, there is this old saying that says the buck stops here. Like when Harry Truman was president, everybody was blaming all their problems and the next guy up the chain, oh, it's his fault. Well, you get to the president and that's it. And so Harry Truman's like, the buck stops here. And I'm not saying that all your issues are my fault, <laughs> but, I but I will take responsibility at times if I have not pointed you towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll take responsibility for that. And so coming together at the end of this, I, I think there's reasons why we need ministers in our lives. And I took this out of a study guide called Galatians for You. And so we're going to talk about these three things. First off is this, we need ministers. We need ministers. Okay, this whole text reminds us we need teachers and preachers, but we also need other Christians in our lives as we minister to one another, as we serve one another, as we speak about what the gospel is. And those people aren't necessarily clergy. There are other people in our lives. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Basically, don't be a knucklehead and make my life hard. No, that's not what it's saying. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. Actually, there's a lot of pastors I've seen who use that verse as a club. This is actually a verse about relationship. It's a verse about relationship, and it's beautiful because that verse can only be followed when we in, are in a relationship with other people. It's not a verse telling you to obey me. It's a verse about that joy. And so at a church, if you're in a church, you look at, the, look at the elders and the deacons and the gospel community leaders of its element, the quick connect group leaders at element, but also your friends. And you realize these are the people that we are going to journey following Christ together. I journey with these people. And if we are not looking at how to journey with one another, we're failing in the call of being God's ambassadors to the world because we need ministers. And in a sense, we are all ministers. Second, not only do we need ministers, we need ministers who understand the gospel. Now, this is where it might sound like I'm rowing at other churches. I'm not, 
Not really. Maybe a little. I don't know. Here goes. Uh, conservative Christianity, and I'm very conservative in my theology, if you know me, but conservative Christianity tends to be filled with ministers who really, like we talked about last week, who says, just be like me. Do the things I do. They say the things I say. They don't really want to understand people. They tend to act like their lifestyle, the way that they think, the cars that they drive, it's better than everybody else. And they have very judgmental attitudes. They don't understand the gospel, that we are not saved by our works or how well we think we clean up, we are saved by Jesus. On the opposite side of that, a lot of liberal mainline churches today will feel your pain. They enter where you are. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through this, but they don't tend to call people to the cross of Christ. And that's what we need to because we have to understand our sin for what it is. A lot of churches don't want to talk about sin because sin makes people feel bad. Well, it does. You did it. Okay. It, it makes us feel bad. It may hurt people's feelings when you call it out. But that's because they fail to understand the gospel. They fail to, talk, fail to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the only way that we are free from our sin and our self-centeredness is not ignoring it or having people tell us it's okay, but by coming to the cross of Christ in community, in community. Uh, there are a few people who watch Element online and everyone, no problem with that, hi. Uh, but, but sometimes I will get these emails and people will say, hey, is it okay to watch it element and then go to another church? I don't know why you want to. Well, sometimes I do. You guys are weird. No. Uh, <laughs> and and I'm not turf conscious at all. Not, not at all. I think the church is the bigger than one church. But really my question is, who are you in relationship with? Because we have to be in relationship with someone. You have to say to some church, to some body of believers, because we're called to live within a body of believers, you're my church and I'm yours. Because part of the call of the church is to be the body of Christ and watch over one another. And if people constantly chirp, church hop, trying to stay out of deep relationships, then you really don't want what the Bible calls us to. And I'm perplexed about you, just like Paul. Third thing, okay? We need ministers who labor until Christ is formed in us. We should want to see this in one another. And this is true for all of us who want to be agents of reconciliation in other people's lives. You look at what Paul says at the end. Paul speaks to these people as if they are his children. He says, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Guys in our culture, we're not allowed to say that because like, you're a guy, you don't know what the pain of childbirth is. Oh, yeah, I get it. I do. I, I probably don't have a high enough pain threshold. Okay, I get it. But Paul knows a pain that's deeply related. And again, if you're not a parent, I think this relates because if you see parents, parents feel this responsibility for their kids that nobody else could ever understand, for your own children. And Paul's words here are meant that I care about you as my kids. And I will tell you, a lot of parents will never know real joy until their kids do as well. And so Paul is saying, this is how I feel about you. And that's what it means to really be a minister in each other's lives. You have this deep-seated desire to see people walk with Christ. Paul talks about this to the people in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6-8, Paul says this, But now that Timothy has come to us and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul says, you know what? I get to live I get to live because you are living your faith. That gives him this deep-seated joy in his life. And I will tell you, there are people at Element right now who my heart breaks for because I want to see relationship restored. I want to see people come together. And sometimes you just push so hard to not ever make that happen. Paul feels this way about people in Galatia. I am laboring 
until Christ is formed in you. And it's that wild mixed metaphor, right? Because really you're in labor because the child has been formed in you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of weird that Paul sticks all these things together. But what he's saying is that God has deemed in his wisdom to place us in one another's lives in ways that bring about the understanding of the gospel for one another, that God works directly on our souls himself, but he also works directly on our souls through one another. And I will tell you, honestly, being involved in a church with a bunch of people is difficult and you may get hurt because guess what? It's full of people just like you. And we are all kind of messed up. But C.S. Lewis once said this, if you don't want your heart broken, don't give it. Wrap it up in a casket of selfishness, and in that casket it will stay. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. He says the only alternative to real ministry is hell, is living your life in hell. Because when you connect to one another, you can get hurt. And yet, we do it anyway, because Christ came and he died for us. That's some pain right there. We should want to be those who live as Christ is formed in us and then go out and do that for one another. Some people, I would say, you know, you, you want to find somebody who is over you in their understanding of the gospel so they can walk with you in that. I would say the best place to do that is in a gospel community. But then as you grow and you become further along, let yourself look and find other people who you can do that same thing for as well. And if somebody falls and something happens, your heart sinks for them, just like Paul's does here. And I think there's a reason why our hearts feel that way, because I think the closer we're connected to who God is, the more we feel the things he feels like we do. The Bible says Jesus, the great God of heaven and earth, the creator, has bound up his heart with us. He has literally died so we could stand firm. And so we want our tone and our love for one another to be that people would see the reality of the gospel what that truly looks like. And that is how we all become ministers. But this is what good ministers do. We don't point to ourselves. We point to Jesus and what he has done. And I love that Paul has taken all of this time to get to this place in Galatia where he's done all of his arguments. And he says, now here's my heart for you. I have said and done all of these things with you. Now here's my heart. And I want you to understand it. And then I think when they understand his heart, they'll, be want, they'll want to be those same people who do that for other people as well. And it starts to become what the church is meant to be, a people who connect to one another because we understand the gospel, because we understand better God's grace day by day by day. That there is hope and life that we all get to be restored into because of what he has done. And we get to speak that into each other's lives. And that is a great privilege. It is a great privilege that God can do everything himself and yet he deems to use his people as messed up as we are to step into one another's lives. And so let's begin to be those who do that, who understand how we ourselves have first been saved by God's goodness. And then that we in turn would then step into other people's lives and reiterate and show that goodness by how we live because of our understanding of the gospel. Today, like every week, we invite you to the place of communion because it's a reminder of Christ's death and resurrection for us that you would break a cracker like his body has been broken. You would dip it in the wine of the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for us so that we can come into relationship with him. Our relationship with God had been broken. Who was the one who broke it? We were. Who was the one who came to restore it? He was. And so let us be that for one another, understanding that God has come to save us where we are. And so let's be those who then do that for one another as well and let communion remind you of that that I am called to be someone in the world who reconciles because God is first reconciled with me.
And if you need prayer this morning, maybe there's someone that God has laid on your heart right now that you want need to do that with. Well, right across the way in the lounge, there'll be some people who would love to pray with you during music, after service. Maybe someone has hurt you and you want to reconcile with them, but maybe they don't want to do that. Well, maybe you can pray with them about that and that God will start to do a work in that. But how we can begin to really be the church to one another, be those who understand the gospel for one another, because it's really beautiful. If you would like to give, there's offering boxes next to the doors. Uh, you can give online. We don't pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. That's why we don't pass a plate. We want God to work in your heart and deem if you see how gracious he's been to you, then we be a gracious people and give as well. Uh, we encourage you to grab those sermon notes, take those questions in there, sit down with your family, your friends today, this week at some point, and kind of start to reflect on this, what it means for us to actually be the church with one another, what it means to be good ministers to one another. You can even, if you have horror stories of bad ministers, you can talk about those too. I got a few. Um, <laughs> it's all about me. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, but you would you maybe talk about those things of what, of, of how maybe people have reached you in your life and spoken the gospel to where you are. And then maybe they could pray with you about how you could do that for other people as well. That we would be those who continually, continually want to see God's grace known by what we speak, by what we do, because he has first done it in us. So we want to do it for one another because he's good. Let's be good ministers because of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would move us to a place where we understand what it means that we have been saved by grace, by your goodness, that in the gospel, when we understand that good news of your death in our place, your righteousness given to us, your resurrection and life that has been laid upon us because of your own goodness, and that we would see that as amazing grace. And by living in that grace, we'd be willing to hear and know the truth, the truth about our own lives, where even someone who's been a follower of you for decades is still willing to look at the places where we fail, where we fall. Not that we are led into condemnation, but it's a way for us to, to see more of the graciousness of who you are and that we would want you to change our hearts, that we would want to align with being a gospel-centric people and that in our conversations, we wouldn't steer people towards ourselves, but we would still steer people towards you. The hope that we know and I ask that you would truly make that hope a reality for us. That we would love and walk with you. And walking with you would lead us to step into other people's lives in ways that you are glorified and that you are lifted up and that it truly does become all about you. We thank you that you have taken us where we are and bound us up with you. And I ask that you would teach us how to do that with one another, that we would speak the good news of grace and hope, but also speak truth in the midst of that so that you would be lifted up in all things. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. As I drop the curtains, what I want you to do is just take a moment and 
ask God right now, is there someone he has laid upon your heart that you need to be a minister to? That you need to step into their life in a way that steers them towards the gospel? Or maybe there's been somebody who has done that for you. And maybe you've never said thanks and encouraged them to continue pointing towards Christ in what they say in, in their lives. But ask him kind of just to lay those things out for you to, to open who you are in the next few moments. So you would see the reality of what he has done and who he's calling you to minister to in your life. And be grateful for those who have ministered to you in the past. And then we can live out as a grateful people in this world. Because God is simply amazing that he lets us work with him and how he draws people to himself. It's astounding. It's astounding that we get to be a part of it. And I hope that you are excited that you get to be a part of it.